You are listening to a pleasure podcast. For more from our sex podcast collective, visit pleasurepodcasts.com. Hello, my wonderful friends. Welcome to American Sex, a podcast dedicated to normalizing conversations about pleasure and alternative sexual expression by challenging those puritanical backward ass ideals that we have here in the United States. This is episode 155 of American Sex Podcast, and I'm Sunny Megatron. My co-host is Ken Melvoin-Berg, who you'll be hearing from shortly. We are both sexuality educators, pleasure advocates, and kinky perverts, too, that just so happen to be non-monogamously married to each other. This week, we're talking about using tabletop role-playing games in therapy with our guest, Nikki Line, aka Therapist Nikki. She's a licensed mental health counselor and board-certified sex therapist in Tampa, Florida. Nikki specializes in kink and alternative relationships like polyamory. She's also a traumatologist, addictologist, and geek therapist. Nikki's been dubbed the healing unicorn because she uses creative methods like incorporating pop culture, anime, virtual reality, comic books, video games, and tabletop role-playing games to help her patients heal and thrive. So if you're like, okay, wait, this episode is geek therapy, like role-playing games, like Dungeons and Dragons, what does that have to do with sex? actually a lot. You may have heard that role play, whether it be through tabletop role playing games or BDSM can be healing. Well, now therapists are using tabletop role playing games in their practice. And this sometimes even includes adult oriented games with sexual themes. So in this episode, we get into the intersection of gaming, BDSM role-playing, and healing. Nikki explains how playing therapeutic games can uncover so much about yourself, you know, how how you approach relationships, how you experience anxiety, or even how you become triggered. It's also a great way to play with parts of ourselves that we're curious about in a safe way without real-world consequences. Now, some people use play to experiment with gender, uh, maybe explore relationship roadblocks, and neurodivergent folks can use it as a test kitchen to explore unfamiliar emotional states or to test drive social skills or coping strategies. Nikki even tells us about engaging members of a polycule in a Dungeons and Dragons game as means to tackle communication obstacles. And for you kinky folks, you're going to get tons of ideas for your scenes, for your role play scenarios, and in general, just bringing more play into your play. Oh, and if you're a gamer, you're also going to get tips for bringing more mindfulness and emotional intelligence into your campaigns. This is a super cool episode. You know, Ken and I are both geeky, and I know a lot of you are too. But before we get to the meat in this audio sandwich, we've got to wash the balls, right? Got to have those clean balls. Here at American Sex, ball washing is housekeeping, but it's a lot more fun to, you know, soap up the twins. First, you know what time it is, don't you? It's big welcome and heartfelt appreciation time to the new members of our Patreon family. 
I want to give a big, huge welcome and heartfelt appreciation to Mally, Nadia, and Queen Anna for becoming recent American Sex Podcast Patreon members. And you too, you can become a member at patreon.com slash American Sex. And I'm going to give you stuff. You're going to get bonus stories from our guests. There's one up from Nikki right now about a very boozy evening. You'll get extra full-length episodes, all of our episodes early. I'm going to send you American Sex Podcast stickers in the mail. You'll get a shout-out on the podcast like these fine folks and more. Ken and I give the majority of our content to the world for free. And that's a lot more than just this podcast. It's because we believe these conversations that we have are critical, they're important, they're relationship improving, they're life changing, in some cases, they're even life saving, and everybody should have access to them regardless of their financial situation. So if you can support us by doing that, you allow our content to remain free for everyone. Again, that address is patreon.com slash American sex. Also, I want you to mark your calendars for two things. The first is a Patreon hangout, again, another perk of being a member with Caroline Carrington and the one and only kink royalty herself, Midori. So yes, that's Sunday, March 21st, 2021. This is the second hangout like this we've done. It's kind of sort of like a munch, kind of sort of like a virtual icebreaker amongst friends. It is not dating. Don't worry, it's not dating. Um, But it's a lot of fun. I have a link to the event in the show notes for episode 155 at americansexpodcast.com. And now secondly, this is big, this is big. You want to win a vacation for two? I'm not kidding. Vacation for two. What about $500 sex toy shopping spree. Yeah. Okay. So on Friday, March 26, I am the featured guest educator at the Lion's Den Zoom party. It's called Women Come First. And it is absolutely free. I'll be teaching you how to get clitorate and unlock hidden pleasure centers in the vulva and the vagina. And yes, they are giving away so many prizes. It's ridiculous. Again, it's 100% free, but you do have to pre-register to get in. So I have a link in the show notes to that pre-registration. That's all you got to do. And remember, it is open to everybody. As long as you're 18 plus, you are invited. So I'll see you there. This is going to be fun. Also, uh, did you hear of a second podcast now? Seriously, yeah. Nothing's happening to American sex. Don't worry. We're still here. But this is called Open Deeply Podcast. And I co-host it with therapist Kate Larie. The first four episodes are up now. I would love for you to check it out. This podcast is a vulnerable deep dive into everything that makes us tick. Is it specifically a sex podcast? No, but you know what? Our sexuality has to do with everything that makes us tick. So do we always end up coming back around to sexuality? A lot of times we do. Um, so just search Open Deeply Podcast on your favorite podcast streaming service, or I'll have the link in the show notes too. Last thing, before we get to our interview, I want to take a few minutes for a little like sexual empowerment pep talk. It's been a minute since we've done that, right? And our friends at Satisfier are actually sponsoring this segment of our show in celebration of your self-confidence and your self-discovery. So it's also Women's History Month, right? We recently celebrated International Women's Day. So this 
is mainly directed to women or those socialized as women who received shameful and conflicting messages about their body and their sexual expression from society. So, you know, when we're socialized to be ashamed about exploring our own bodies, we essentially end up putting our pleasure in somebody else's hands. You know, oh, that that fun pleasure stuff, that's not for us to do. But one day, a partner, they're going to come along and help unlock that magic. Well, when that one day or that one partner comes along, we often realize that all that stuff we've been led to believe about our pleasure isn't true at all. No magic is getting unlocked. Even though many of us were taught that self-touch is shameful, that's wrong, oh, you're not supposed to do it. Research has repeatedly shown that those who engage in self-touch regularly have healthier relationships, they have a stronger sense of boundaries, and they're just happier long-term. Now, you know about the pleasure gap? Have you heard about this? Okay. It's also called the orgasm gap sometimes. It's this phenomenon that we see in heterosexual cis couples. A significant number of studies have backed this up. One found that 95% of straight cis men orgasm during sex, but only 65% of straight cis women do. But when the men were asked if their partners climax, if they thought they climax, the men thought 85% of their partners were having climaxes when they really weren't. Another study found that Cis women are four times more likely to say that sex was not pleasurable for them in the past year. Also, they found that straight cis men have 20 to 50% more orgasms than their cis woman counterparts in partnered sexual encounters. Wow. So, okay, what's going on? A number of things are going on. It could be a whole episode. Hell, it could be a whole podcast series. But Here are a couple quick things that I think are key in the pleasure gap situation. People with vulvas actually have as much erectile tissue as people with penises do, but the tissue is harder to access and it could take more time to stimulate effectively. And secondly, the other reason is no one teaches us about this stuff. You know, people with vulvas have been discouraged from exploring their own bodies And a lot of us aren't in tune with our own pleasure. Plus, the people sleeping with us usually aren't proficient in exploring our hidden anatomy either. And that is nothing to be ashamed about. It's just the way it is. So naturally, in order to combat this, self-pleasure and pleasure products are two ways we can help close the orgasm gap. So, and I just have to add this, okay, caveat. Orgasm is not the end-all be-all in sexual encounters. Sex shouldn't be goal-oriented. Sex can still be good sex, even when we don't have an orgasm. However, in this situation, when you're denied the option to have an orgasm due to social conditioning and due to shame, that's a whole nother story, right? So a great place to start exploring is with a clitoral stimulator, hands down. This is my number one advice. Research has shown that roughly 75% of people with vulvas need clitoral stimulation to climax. 
I love the Satisfier Curvy 2 or the Love Triangle. They're two of my favorites, okay? These can be used alone or use partnered or use long distance because they're app enabled, which is awesome. Now, I found that these types of devices specifically are great because they're strong and they get right down to business. They are excellent for finding that sometimes elusive or weak orgasm. Now, for those that want to experiment with different pleasure zones, I recommend the Monoflex. It's a great pick. It's a rabbit style dual stimulator. And it really gives the kind of variety that a lot of people need for a versatile experience. So what I mean by that is you can use it internally and externally at the same time. You could use it only externally. You could use it only internally. You know, the choice is up to you. In other words, it's not a one trick pony, right? The design allows you to change things up and experiment with what you like, or as your preferences change, adapt to the changes that you're naturally going through. Now, bottom line, my recommendation overall is if you want to access your full pleasure potential, pleasure tools can help you get there. And why are they such an invaluable resource? Well, first, they allow us to access all of that hidden erectile tissue without the pressure to perform for somebody else. You know, they say nerves that, that fire together also wire together, right? That means the more we practice our pleasure, the more available and responsive our bodies are going to be with our partners. And secondly, when we're confident in our ability to masturbate and to explore our bodies, it takes some of the pressure off of our partners to be responsible for not only their pleasure, but our own pleasure too. It redefines pleasure as a collaborative effort, and it can ultimately help a couple see the unlimited potential to cultivating pleasure for everybody in the relationship. So, all right, that was, that was my my pleasure pep talk. And I hope it inspired you to look at your own pleasure through a new lens. And of course, to celebrate women this month, Satisfier is offering American Sex Podcast listeners, this is good, 40% off and free shipping for all app-enabled devices when you go to Satisfier.com and enter the code SUNNY40, that's S-U-N-N-Y-4-0, at checkout. That's S-A-T-I-S-F-Y-E-R.com with code SUNNY40. All those ones I mentioned too, even the Monoflex, all app enabled. Oh, amazing. So again, just go to S-A-T-I-S-F-Y-E-R.com and use my code SUNNY and get 40% off and free shipping. All right, these balls are clean. The pep talk is given. We're sexually empowered. Let's do this. Here is Nikki Line with Geek Therapy. Today, we have an amazing interview that has my two biggest uh, sort of loves of life kind of combined. As many of you know, recently, I've started off into, uh, since COVID had started, into becoming a professional dungeon master and a uh, a Twitch content creator because I teach people uh, how to play tabletop role-playing games like Dungeons & Dragons, Pathfinder, Call of Cthulhu. 
uh, and we play the games while we're online. Now, one of the things that I have worked with in the past uh, is not something that uh, we have talked about a, a whole lot, but like there's a couple of different therapists that I have worked with in the past, but my knowledge is very inferior to our guest today. And I wanted to welcome Nikki Line. Nikki, thank you so much for being with us today. Oh, you're totally welcome. Thanks for having me. Yay! So can you tell us a little bit about who you are and what is your connection to role-playing games? So I'm a licensed mental health counselor as well as a certified sex therapist. And I like to involve myself in what we call geek therapy or geek therapeutics. And that involves geek artifacts such as tabletop role-playing games and using them in therapy to help people with their mental health and social skills and relationship development. That is absolutely amazing. Now, um, to, to start off with this, did you say that there was some kind of certification that you have for this? Because I noticed that you said you were t- doing some kind of a training with geek therapy. There is right now. It's in development through Dr. Anthony Bean. It's under geek therapeutics for it to be a certified geek therapist. That's amazing. That, that is. You know, it, it's interesting because like, you know, I mean, you know, Ken and myself, we are into, you know, tabletop role playing games. We are into BDSM and there's a lot of like role play in that. And oftentimes we often talk about how there's so much intersection between like gaming, you know, when we in, indulge in BDSM, we do it oftentimes in a therapeutic nature to kind of explore different emotions and, you know, different states of being that maybe we don't get to do on our day-to-day lives. So um, it, I find it like this is the first I had actually heard and you probably have, you know, you're more geeky than I am, Ken. This is the first I had actually ever heard of tabletop role-playing games being officially integrated into therapy how new it like is this like brand spanking hot off the presses new kind of therapy yes and no like people have been using it in their therapy for a long time it's just now come into the mainstream over the past like year and a half or so mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. now um where do you get the ideas for which particular games would help which person like do you are you the person that would design and DM the game based on your client's needs or how, how does that look? It really, it depends on the client's needs. It also depends on the goals that we're setting up for. Mm-hmm. And the goal is at least for me, for the tabletop role-playing games or anything that I'm using is I'm taking a technique and I'm also taking the game and I'm kind of wrapping the game around the technique so it's mm. breaking the game, so to speak, as to make it usable in a therapeutic sense. So games like D&D, great, wonderful. So many things you can use in d and I've never played Pathfinder. I know you're really big into that, Ken, so I haven't. It's, it's the dirty cousin of D&D. It's yeah. really the same thing, just the crits are bigger. Okay. <laughs> That's so. it. Sincerely, it's the same thing. In fact, there's a history between the two games that started, and this is me getting super geeky, <laughs> uh, at D&D 3.5, when they were going to make the next edition, 3.5 D&D was very, very popular. And they were going to sort of enhance the rules a little bit. And when they swayed away towards making fourth edition Dungeons & Dragons, that's when they kind of regressed and they combined D&D with World of Warcraft, which is why the fourth edition was so unpopular. However, the designers who were most popular branched off from TSR or from Wizards of the Coast and started Pathfinder to what D&D should have been had they progressed in an organic way. Ah, 
Whoa. Look at you. And so that's that's kind of how we got uh, into the fifth edition. And it's interesting. And the fifth edition today is very different than what they've done before. But that's how sort of D&D and Pathfinder are kind of dirty cousins of each other. I kind of just got a geek boner a little bit. Right? (laughs) Good job, Ken. (laughs) So, okay. I am. I mean, I know just for myself, the reasons I think why game therapy might be, I don't know, more appealing to certain people than just like sitting doing talk therapy. So is this something that is appealing to anyone, any age group with any issues? Or do you tend to gravitate towards like, you know, teens with social issues? Or, you know, who is this the best for, I guess? It's for pretty much anyone, I would like to say it. You you tailor the skills mm-hmm. to the demographic that you're working with. So I would say maybe kids that are probably seven to nine, you could start mm-hmm. for them to understand the rules and the mechanics. And you could start out with social skills and whatnot there, but then on up into like teenagers, young adults, people are using it with older populations to be able to keep their minds sharp and to be creative so they're still working and using so they're not just sitting there watching TV or you know playing crossword puzzles. Yeah, yeah. You know what's interesting about that? What? So um part of the reason that I make the games that I do are to help people uh in some instances get over things and I mean and this is in a casual way. I'm not I'm not that kind of medical professional. Right. I don't, you know, I had some minor 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 psychological training back when I was in the Air Force 3 million years ago during the Jurassic period, right? Yes. <laughs> um, but like one of the things that I do is like uh I have this one game called it's a Call of Cthulhu variant called OK Boomer Shady Acres and what it is is it's a uh, a game where we have people play folks that are in their 80s and 90s so they can explore what it's like to be mobility limited but still have sort of a sharp brain. And I think that it's kind of along the same vein as what you're talking about and that we're exploring what other people are going through and it's sort of helping if – I'm, if I'm understanding this correctly and it's sort of helping us empathize uh, what other what other folks are doing. Right. Would that be fair? It- yeah, that's fair. That's totally in the same vein. And I love that title, by the way. Okay, Boomer. Um, <laughs> <laughs> getting them used to a different type of world and having them use their mind. Or they even have, you said that you were uh, a veteran in the Air Force. Mm-hmm. It's really big with, with military veterans as w- as for PTSD and working with Ooh. the triggers and noticing them and being able to cope with them. You know, it's interesting. When I was in the service, there's a huge military tradition of playing role-playing games. In fact, when I was in, half of my squad, uh, like uh, my flight in the Air Force, uh, went to Gen Con every year. Like, if we could, if we could get the time off. And I remember one year, like, I actually was too broke. And Ed Greenwood, the guy who created Forgotten Realms, and I I wish I would have still had this to this day, but he gave me a copy of it because he knew I was in the service. I was broke and came every year. And and shortly after he gave me that, um, I won the D&D Open that year. which was super exciting for me, but it's a huge tradition of people in the military. And like, it's interesting because now the guys that are my age that are gen X probably really love this. And like, and I'm assuming older people who maybe haven't been exposed to it, that's helping them with their PTSD as well. It is. Uh, Some of the therapeutic games that I help run, people are finding out a lot about themselves, about how they approach relationships, about how they get anxious when certain things come up. And Mm -hmm. we 
notice that in the game and we can pause the game or we can wait till the particular session is over and start discussing, hey, your character was doing this. Can you tell me more about your, what your character was thinking or was there a bleed over between you and your character as to what was going on there? Ooh. So it makes this this fabulous thing to to pick apart with what's happening. So logistically, is it configured sort of like group therapy? Like, you know, oftentimes when we run a game, it might be four or five different players and then a, a, a DM. So do you have four or five different patients playing together? Like, how does that look? It can look like four or five different patients playing together, or you can do one-on-one with the client as as their decisions going through a world that you've created, or you can work with, you know, couples or, you know, throuples into how we're navigating this. Ooh, ooh, okay. So can I throw out a theoretical situation and then maybe you could tell me how you might, you know, generally might configure a game to address it? Sure. Can we, can we play that game? Okay, yeah. so when you said throuples, I was like, Ooh, okay. So let's say, let's just say, you know, Ken and I are in a a relationship with a third person and we're polyamorous and maybe we're new to polyamory and we're having your typical relationship hurdles with, you know, jealousy and um, relationship insecurities and that sort of thing. So if you were to take me, Ken, and our theoretical third through some sort of, you know, whether it's Dungeons and Dragons or another type of of tabletop role-playing game, what kind of game elements would you put in there to work on those relationship insecurities? If we were doing such as D&D, for one, you would be building your characters and how I would say make your character as close to yourself as possible to get some of the bleed over mm-hmm. as well as, okay, so this this group or this party is going through this quest. Like how might they interact with each other? What are their particular personality traits that they're going through? Is there a secret happening or maybe if a spotlight is on one character is there a jealousy element there or is there an envy of this mm-hmm. character? And how have you seen this in maybe your particular relationship showing up? Or maybe the communication between the characters is bad. Is this similar to what's happening in real life right now? So it's taking it back and forth from what's happening. And there's other ones that involve sexual elements such as Monster Hearts can. I know D&D can have some sexual elements as well. The thirsty lesbian sword fighting one that oh, just yeah. came out have you, have you seen the book of erotic fantasy it's an older book but they have like magic nipple rings and oh really like all, oh yeah you can be a it's funny because you can be a sacred whore you can be a uh, eunuch or you can be a celibate um but in each one of them have different abilities and you can and they have like spells like you can give people crab lice Really? Whoa. Yeah. That's so, amazing. To, to give them, yeah, because they totally start itching and scratching. Like they have all sorts of cool stuff. For, and it makes bards off the hook because yes. bards are all horny anyways. So I play a, <laughs> uh, what is it, a spring court sprite bard right now. Oh, uh, that's awesome. And yeah, she, she's kind of, she's, she's off the hook. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Now, this is interesting, though, because like just, um, you know, talking about this scenario, just I had this light bulb moment, because, you know, I've always said when it comes to 
prospective romantic partners or whatnot, you really get a feel for how somebody really operates under pressure. And like, you know, after that facade is peeled back, if you like work with them, if you, you know, work on some sort of a project, or you game with them or whatnot. So I just had this mental image of these three theoretical people, all gaming together and their true personalities coming out. So you can work with them, but they're doing it in a safe container, which is like, blows my freaking mind it is definitely that that safety container that you're working with and it is what we call one removed Mm -hmm. so it's not you it's the character so we can project onto the character and how the characters interact so it makes it safer for individuals to feel vulnerable in a space Mm -hmm. because it's again it's the character doing this it's not me And then we can bring it back to, okay, so what values do you share with this character that might be be causing a conflict or that might be helping you get closer or set barriers to getting closer with each other? Oh, I love this. That's amazing. Yeah. So do you find that people who or clients who, who are into this, are they gamers or do you are you like game and they're like game what the hell is this dungeons and dragons crap and then you got to teach them that too like who who is more most adept to being attracted to doing this kind of thing i think gamers are more attracted to it in the beginning because they may know all the rules Mm -hmm. and whatnot that go into these games because approaching dungeons and dragons or some other tabletop games are like i don't know how to do this so the insecurities come up (laughs) with learning how, how to do this, but it's also could be a great connection activity for a group or a relationship to be like, hey, we're learning how to do this together. And like you were saying earlier, it's like, hey, we can learn how to build something together. So it in, in the beginning, to answer your question, it's going to be the gamers and the geeks that are drawn yeah. to this first. And I've brought it up to some some couples or some individuals that aren't, as into gaming as mm-hmm. some other people. And they're like, hmm, especially like working with nar- narcissism and trying to develop empathy. It's like, this is a great way because you get to embody a character and try to look at things from other different characters' perspectives. And I, I have some clients go, huh, that might be something to try. I might be interested. So then that's a door for me to come in later on. Yeah. Down therapy. Be like, you know, when I said we could work on this, this would be a good time to start learning this game. So my question is, what is what does character development look like? Now I know you mentioned that you try to make the characters as close to the people as possible, but does that mean that if I was Ken in one of your games, that I would have the feet? I don't know where the thing that I put it, where it was, but it's been in the same spot for twenty years. Do well, I have like real life skills, like my my personal ineptitudes? I would say when I say as close to you as possible, more like your personality and your values. Okay. At least in the beginning, until you want to develop other things. Like if someone wanted to develop leadership skills, maybe we're going to take on that more barbarian or tank of the party that has these, like, we're going to go get them skills or that that's built into the character. So maybe as a DM, do you line. sort of guide them in that process? If they're, because if they like, I don't really know what I'm supposed to be. Like, I don't know what I'm like. Cause me and me as Ken, I know I'm a bard, obviously, cause it's not only my right. favorite class, but like, 
I, I'm not really a master of any one skill. Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> I'm all yeah. about the entertainment. <laughs> yeah. But I can do a little bit of everything. Um, so if you don't know about that much about yourself, because my thinking is uh, with therapy is like oftentimes people go to therapy because they don't know themselves. How, how do you guide that along? So originally, like I'll have them sit down probably in D&D Beyond where they have like great character sheets and things. Be like, okay, kind of flip through the races and the classes and see what you most are drawn to or what you like the most. And we can talk about why you feel drawn to that and maybe things that could add. And this is would be for a new player mm-hmm. that has never played these games before. Uh, if it's a veteran, be like, hey, what are some spells or some certain you know, aspects of a class or a race that you would like to embody? So we start building the character that way. It's their creation. They can get as creative as they want. Or if we have someone who wants to throw in something odd into the game, let's say like they want to deal with drugs. Okay, so let's explore the the reasoning behind why we're putting like cocaine or meth or something in this world or magic addictive fairy dust. What's the point of that? <laughs> right, right. <laughs> and I present to you the eight ball of smelling. <laughs> well, we do have, in the game we're currently running, we have Chonk the Destroyer. You do have Chonk the Destroyer. Who is a dragon with breath that gets us high like nitrous oxide. But that's, he's an ancient fairy dragon. Oh, and That's okay. the fairy dragon's natural breath weapon. It's not that I developed the, we- oh, the breath There's no psychological. It. Yes, there's... <laughs> So it's, you intentionally are putting yourself into an impaired state, and if you do it going into combat, then chonk can be a detriment. However, if you're relaxing in camp, nobody cares if your mind is enfeebled. Okay. Okay. Does that right. make sense? Yeah. Yeah, I, I get it. So yeah. I, I, chonk, I, I might remind you, chonk left your ass. I know. Chonk is gone now. <laughs> yeah, that's a whole nother thing. He's with the pirates thing. now. Yeah. Um, so I found it interesting when you had touched on – uh, playing a character that might be opposite of yourself. Because ages ago, like, I'm one of those people, I'm very passive. I don't like conflict. I don't like being, I'm not the tank, ever. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm in life, you know? So one day when I played World of Warcraft, like, 10 years ago, I was like, I'm going to be a warrior. I'm going to be a tank. I'm going to, you know, go leading into battle and dungeons, uh, terrified, because I'm like, I think this is a skill that I need to develop in my real life. You know, I don't know. Like, I wasn't even therapy at this point. I just figured this all out on my own. Damn. That's um, amazing. Good job. But it actually really, I was terrified. <laughs> I, I was terrified to be a warrior. But I knew, like, at least I can do this in a game. Because if it if it's a huge mistake, I can turn off the game. I can abandon the character and go create a lazy hunter, you know? Um, but... Uh, if I did that in real life, I couldn't turn it off. I couldn't go, maybe this was a mistake. So it was like, I don't know, that catch-all knowing that like I could just walk away at any time. So what are the benefits of either somebody playing a character completely opposite of themselves or playing a character that embodies certain characteristics that they need to develop? Or have you ever had situations where maybe somebody embodies a character that's most like, their partner or somebody else they're trying to work with like what does that look like oh that would be an interesting concept to embody your your partner so if you're trying to play a character opposite yourself or maybe have traits that you want Mm -hmm. like you were saying earlier it is a safety container you can 
leave the world at any time. You can say, hey, I want to kill this character because I don't like them. Maybe I think that they're a total dick. <laughs> I don't want to <laughs> play this character anymore. Um, <laughs> the Leroy Jenkins effect. Yeah, exactly. Um, or I have an individual now who's playing with uh, masculinity. Okay. So they're trying to embody what they feel masculinity means to them. So it can be like, huh, I can play with these roles, these masculine or these feminine roles and be like, "Mm, I think I like this or I don't like this at all. So (laughs) we're going to change or we can have the character evolve. Yeah. Uh, playing Playing a character that's similar to yourself, you can see how maybe your personality could have conflict with other personalities and where that happens. And maybe we need to change something. Right. So then the bleed back into yourself, like bleed out of the game and be like, huh, wonder if I try this differently. So it, the, the game is totally a testing ground first. Yes. Yeah. It, okay. So this is really funny too, because I was talking to somebody last night about BDSM and role play in, in that sort of scenario, which again, in my mind, I liken, you know, role-playing games in the tabletop sense very much to role-playing games in the BDSM sense. And I was saying to them that, like, I very much in my BDSM very much revel in the psychological play and the role-play and, like, embodying characteristics that maybe I don't get to do in my real life or examining emotions that I don't get to examine in my real life. And, you know, we were talking about neurodiversity and I'm neurodiverse. So it's like, I don't feel like I understand emotions like other people do. And I don't feel like I maybe even feel some of the same emotions that other people do. So for me, role playing is sort of like an emotional test kitchen where I can like really I can take emotions and states of being to their extreme and like really examine them from a geeky logical perspective. Like, ooh, this is what people feel when they feel this emotion. I don't really understand this. I'm understanding it more. So tell me about how this type of role-playing game can help people who are neurodivergent, maybe people who get along by masking, that sort of thing. It totally helps individuals who are neurodivergent. That's where a lot of of the therapists that I've worked with, that's their their playing ground is in the neurodiverse field. So teaching social skills and emotions. And so like you were saying, like, how does how does this feel playing this? Do you like this emotion? If you didn't like it, what how are some ways that we could, you know, use coping skills to work with that? Mm. So it it's totally, yeah, I, I totally agree with you. And especially with BDSM too. I feel it crosses over a lot. Geeks and individuals who are in the kink field, there's a huge overlap. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, there's it's not so much a like a Venn diagram, it's just a great big fucking circle. Yeah. Right. It totally um, is. So I have a question for you from the opposite side of things. Has you being a therapist leaked into you being a dungeon master? Have you changed as a DM or a player? I would say yes, because it helps me be more aware of what's going on. Because as a as a DM or a GM, you're the world builder. You're also going to have players get a whole lot of insight to who you are as a person with oh, the world fuck. that you create. Please, nobody in my games listen to this part of the statement. <laughs> <laughs> and how you think. So if it's 
if everything's based on choices or twists and turns, they're going to find out who you are pretty quick and your logic <laughs> to yeah. the world that you build. So there, there's a double-edged sword there when you're a DM and a player. I have to give a caveat. If I play a, uh, a character alongside of my my group, it's like, look, this is the character. <laughs> if I say something like I'm talking really slowly, like you're an idiot, I don't <laughs> think you're an idiot. This is the character. <laughs> <laughs> what uh, in, in my brain now, like knowing what you do for a living and knowing that you're like a great DM and you're into TTRPGs, I'm thinking that when you're a player... Like, are you a healer when you're a player? Or, like, what is your favorite player choice or class choice? It depends. Like, my favorite, I think it would not be a healer, to be honest, because I think I would want to play more of the warrior and fighter classes because cool. I don't get to play that very often. Because I do get, I do sit on the, I name a support character a lot as like a bard or a cleric or something like that. So I would rather, I think, be the barbarian mm. at one point. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah, Oftentimes, that it's, and it's interesting because like a, a lot of times I do see people uh, playing. I think I'm an outlier in some ways that most mm. people, I think, play a character that is opposite of them in some ways. And like in some capacity. I don't. Like, you don't. I, I you do always not. play something that's familiar because I think for me, and I don't know if it's like my neurodivergence or, or whatever, or like other. You're you know, always kind of an earth mom. I, I'm, I'm, I want to Oracle be safe. Druid. I want to be safe. Yep. I want to know what's familiar. I don't want to go outside of my comfort zone. And, you know, part of that is it's, you know, when I'm playing a game, it's recreational. So I don't want to be anxious. I, I have like chronic anxiety. I'm anxious about everything, you know. And so I play something that's more comfortable so I can be more relaxed. But then at the same time, you know, kind of like what I did with the playing the warrior in World of Warcraft, sometimes I'm like, ooh, this is a way to like learn something about myself or develop skills about myself through play. But it also doesn't make the play feel like play because I have such anxiety. Like anytime I had to go first into like, you know, a bunch of. Uh, and I'm thinking automatically the ghoul tunnels and that like one of the first encounters we had with this particular game, you were very like your character is always hesitant to go into stuff. Yes, I'm all. And that's how I am in life. That's me. Why, why are that you afraid? Me. Because it's a character to go in. What do you think? Like, are you do you have anxiety about it? Yes. About making a decision or because of the unknown? Everything. <laughs> <laughs> everything it's it's everything. All of the they're things. just hypothetical D&D spiders they're not going to hurt you but you legit get like excited and a little fearful about the pretend spiders yes because I'm like I I think okay I don't know how this has turned into a therapy session for me but hey we'll go with it <laughs> um, so I think that I am so used to living in a world where I don't know what's going on mm -hmm. like all that I don't know because I do, you know, I, it's probably the neurodivergence and a bunch of other, you know, trauma and all the things. Um, but I always feel lost. I always feel like when I encounter something, whatever I evaluate that something to be and whatever I think it is, is probably wrong. I'm probably missing something super obvious that's right in my face. And I'm going to let my guard down and be like, I know what this thing is. And then the thing's going to get me because I had no idea. So I kind of like I approach everything in my life like that because I, I never 
can trust that how I'm evaluating something and how I'm regarding something is actually the way it is. Does that make sense? It totally makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, it makes sense. COVID spring break is right around the corner. And you know what that means? Spring break in your pants. Manscaped is here to ensure that the party in your pants never stops. Even Veronica Corningstone wouldn't say no to this pants party. (laughs) For everyone preparing for a pants party this spring break, I have an exclusive 20% off discount. Use code SUNNY, S-U-N-N-Y, at manscaped.com. Manscaped is dedicated to helping you level up your full body grooming game. We love Manscaped's Perfect Package 3.0 kit. It comes with the Essential Lawnmower 3.0, a waterproof cordless body trimmer, and a ton of other liquid formulations to round out your grooming routine. I'm telling you, this is the best trimmer on the market. For those of you in need for a chest shave, a ball shave, or really any kind of shave, their third-generation trimmer features a cutting-edge ceramic blade to reduce grooming accidents thanks to the advanced skin-safe technology pioneered by Manscaped. And inside the perfect package, you'll also find the Manscaped Crop Preserver Ball Deodorant and the Crop Reviver Ball Toner. And for a limited time, subscribers get two free gifts. The Shed Travel Bag, which is a $39 value, and the patented high-performance reduced chafing Manscaped Boxers. And special for you, I've got a party in your online shopping cart. Yeah, it's 20% off and free shipping at manscaped.com with the code SUNNY, S-U-N-N-Y. That's 20% off and free shipping with code SUNNY at M-A-N-S-C-A-P-E-D.com. Some mornings you wake up feeling ready to Pull the covers back over your head and just go back to sleep. I mean, no judgment, of course, uh, but let's make having the most comfortable sheets the reason why. What? You don't love your sheets? Well, Brooklinen has you covered. So Brooklinen was started by Rich and Vicky, who also tried to find beautiful home essentials that didn't cost them an arm and a leg. And when they couldn't, they founded Brooklinen as the first direct-to-consumer bedding company. They work directly with manufacturers to make luxury available directly to you without the luxury level markups. Brooklinen has a variety of sheets, colors, patterns, materials to fit your needs and tastes. And Brooklinen has over 50,000 five-star reviews and counting. In fact, they're so confident you'll love their products. They even offer a 365-day money-back guarantee. So I'm going to confess something, okay? I'm going to get vulnerable here. Stick with me. Brooklinen was my first luxury bedding ever in my life. Now we have the whole sheet set and duvet cover. And oh my God, now I understand why discount store sheets, they do. mm -mm, Nope, they don't do it. See, I just don't like to pay a lot for my sheets. So I'm thankful that with Brooklinen, I don't have to and either do you. So go to brooklinen.com and use the promo code SUNNY, S-U-N-N-Y. You're going to get $25 off when you spend $100 or more plus free shipping. That's B R. 
O-O-K-L-I-N-E-N.com and enter the code SUNNY for that $25 off when you spend 100 or more plus free shipping. One more time, because I want you to get these sheets. Brooklinen.com with the code SUNNY at checkout. So, Nikki, I have a question for you. Like, the length of your games, are they all one-shots, or do you have any that are, like, long-term therapy that have turned into a campaign of sorts? We have both. We have both, like, working with one-shots. If we're getting people interested in a game, we'll do a lot of one-shots in that world or that particular gaming system to say, oh, do you like this or do you not? We may change it. Uh, We also have some that are longer in campaigns. Like, we have a campaign running now. Mm Mm-hmm. For, for individuals. It's a, it's the starter one. It's the Minds of Andelver. Oh, yeah. So it, But it's good for starting players to understand the mechanics and to what's going on. That's a perfect all-around good like starter dungeon that gives everybody like a, like a good classic stereotypical taste of what D&D is like in an easy way. I like that dungeon. Yeah. So with COVID, are you doing this all online? Like, how is this working logistically? Yes, right now it's all online. Uh, we have a couple of different systems that we use. Mm-hmm. Uh, Discord is one of them. Yeah. That will use the voice chat or the the rolling, I think it's RV is what it's called mm-hmm. in that system. Uh, we also have a different tabletop map uh, called Shard that just came out. It's a fabulous system. It does all the rolls in the character sheets for you. Ooh. Is it like Roll20 or Foundry or any of the other VTTs that are out there? Or it's a v- VTTs for um, listeners at home are virtual tabletops. It's like Zoom with an attitude that gives you a D&D table with your miniatures and all of your stuff. It's it's similar to Roll20, only you don't have the video in there. You have to have an outside thing as far as uh, like Discord mm-hmm. to do. Uh, one of my DMs, her name is Sarah Kennedy. She's Des Nouvelle on Twitch. And she uses Shard a lot and using their programs and how to, to move the, the tokens around your, play, your, uh, your miniatures around the board and the maps. And it's fabulous. That's, oh, awesome. that's great. So I have a qu- another logistics question is how is this kind of therapy classified and the reason i'm asking is like when you do telehealth with somebody if it's a therapist Mm -hmm. you have to be in the same state that that therapist is licensed but if you're talking to a counselor or whatnot the the rules aren't as strict so when you're playing these games let's say you have a group that you're playing you know playing with four or five people um does it have to be people in the same state when you're doing it you know, tele-wise, or can it be anywhere in the country or the world? So ethics gets really gray. Yeah. (laughs) With this, if we're going like strict letter of ethics, they have to be in the same state Mm -hmm. that you're playing with. If we're going into like the coaching realm, Mm -hmm. so we're not saying it's therapy, Mm -hmm. it's coaching, then it can be wherever. (laughs) Okay. Okay. That makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. So, Okay, I know you do this, and I've done a little Googling, and a few people do this, but again, like you said, this is relatively new. Not a lot of folks offer this. So if somebody's listening and they're like, this sounds really cool, uh, where do they go to find something like this that is accessible to them? Uh, You can, some of the DMs that I know that do therapy uh, role-playing games, you can go to your local comic shop, 
Or you can look up Geek Therapy Mm -hmm. or Geek Therapeutics and look under their directory. And you'll see different therapists that will be like, yeah, I do tabletop or I use virtual reality or these different things to find a therapist that uses tabletop. Okay. That's awesome. And you know what? That's also something that we could put in touch with people with the NCSF. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Because if they haven't been aware of that yet, so we'll get a hold of them and we'll let them know about kind of what's going on with this. Um, And and, yeah, that that actually leads me to another question because I, you know, you obviously, you are um, not only very well adept in, you know, tabletop role playing games, you're very well adept in alternate sexualities, whether that's kink, polyamory, etc. So let's say, and I mean, I would just assume that this really, you know, Geeky people tend to be kinky. It kind of all goes hand in hand, right? Right. Um, So are other practitioners of this, do they tend to be also uh, kink aware, you know, poly aware, that sort of thing as well? I would say some of the ones that I have met are sex positive Mm -hmm. and kink aware. There are some who are not. So you have to ask that up front, like, hey, or... If we want to put this in our game, are you sex positive? Are you are you kink aware? Do you know what these things are? So you're not really teaching your therapist as you're going along. Yeah, which is the worst. Right. The worst. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I will also put in the show notes for, for those listening along um, some guidelines and tips for finding a kink knowledgeable therapist, mental health practitioner, etc. Because, you know, not all mental health practitioners have the same knowledge base when it comes to alternative sexuality. This is so true. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that could be a whole nother thing. So, all right, you have a question, Ken, you look like you're no, I was just looking at the tweet from Mark Hamill again. Oh, yeah, Mark. I'm sorry. Mark, <laughs> like Mark minutes Hamill before this, like Mark Hamill liked one of my tweets. Oh, my goodness. Tell uh, me for you're For the second totally time in 20, like last night, he gave Sonny a, um, an, like a. Yeah, he emoji. responded to my tweet. So I'll tell you the story real quick. The, you know, this is the perfect time to do it. Yes. Geeks. You're a geek. You'll appreciate this. So uh, we got a Roomba. Like that cleans the floor. Oh, yeah. And so Ken and I are like, what do we name it? And we're going back and forth. And then I was like, Luke Floor Sucker. So we named our Roomba Luke Floor Sucker. And then we seriously were like looking at each other like, I wonder if, if Mark Hamill would, would be, like, offended, would be offended by this because I was a worried. Or he would like, think it was funny. <laughs> and Ken's like, you're verified on Twitter. He's verified on Twitter. He'll see you. Tw- Why don't you ask him? See if he'll answer. So I did. I was like, Mark Hamill, are you offended that we named our our Roomba Luke Floor Sucker? And he responded and he goes, I hope this gives you your answer. And he gave a laugh emoji. And then we just about died. <laughs> like our soul left our body. And then Ken tweets as a follow up to that. And, and I stole this from my friend Jen Lyle. You and did. I will give you her did. Props. But he tweeted, may the floors be with you. Oh my god! And, and then I so just got a like amazing. on that. I got a like on the floors <laughs> maybe with you. So I totally. This is a, a what, what do we call that situation again? From what? Key and Peel. I forgot. It's a like when somebody tells a joke and then somebody else steals it right away. Oh, I wish I was high on pot news. Oh yeah, I wish yeah. I was high on pot. I just high on pot news, Jen Lyle. So yeah, totally Jen, I totally high on pot news and stole your joke, but Mark Hamill liked it. Yeah. So anyway, I don't know how we got there, but Sorry. it was good. It we was digress. good. It was good. Um. And I mean, come on, people listening to this episode are geeks. They're probably peeing in their pants right now. We're good. We're good. So I, Christmas. I have always <laughs> had this 
I don't know if fantasy is the right word. I've been... Wait, fantasy in D&D? <laughs> what? Really? And you haven't told me yet? No, no, no. When I'm, I tell you what it a, is, you'll be like, I'm going to go grab a helmet oh. and a wand no, and no, no, like, no, no, no. something so, for you to peg me with, or like a <laughs> dick of holding? I don't know. <laughs> okay. All right. So oftentimes when I teach BDSM to certain audiences um, who maybe aren't really adept at BDSM, and like Ken's uh, and my viewpoint of BDSM is very different than your average like i'm gonna teach you bdsm 101 because we very much do get into like the role play aspect and embodying different characters and exploring emotions and it's very heady and very cerebral and it kind of blows people's minds they're like whoa this is cool like you can use role play in all these different ways and you know after teaching certain groups who maybe aren't adept at kink and and seeing kink through like vanilla people's eyes who are like, whoa, I could use this for role play. I've often wondered and wanted to craft some sort of like vanilla BDSM role play. Like me and my friends could explore our emotions by doing BDSM without the sex element. I, I've been thinking about this actually, and I'm working on a couple of things. I already have a fight, flight, uh, fight, flight, and fawn element to the game. Ooh, ooh, ooh. really? But I would love your <laughs> thoughts. Like, do you think this is is possible? Because it's like in my brain, I'm like, there's there's got to be a way to manifest this. Do you see that working, or do you see one day like therapists encouraging people to do that? Are my goals lofty? What do you think? Oh no, your goals are are awesome. It has it's that psychodrama aspect right that's a whole other you know class and modality in therapy and counseling is using role-playing in theater which is what (laughs) you know tabletop rpgs are is playing these different characters in these different roles so no you're not far off at all you're right on and you know what i think that our the the one element that our role-playing style with tabletop role-playing games and our BDSM style both have that one thing in common that you and I teach classes about, Sunny, and that is the element of play. Play, yeah. And, oh yes. and the books specifically that we go to, and I want you to to talk about this for just a second, Sunny, um, with us reaching um, the the heights that we have, like we're, we're, we're very comfortable with where we're at with our career, but when you start doing a lot of BDSM stuff, you have to kind of look outside to different disciplines. Yeah. And psychology is the one discipline that kind of gets our interest in both of those. So can you talk a little bit about what we do with that? Yeah. Like, you know, one of the things we do, like Ken said, we take the interdisciplinary approach. And because there's not a lot of research with BDSM with these things, we step outside and look at like, um, you know, a lot of like the neuroscience of play, um, states of flow, why, what fear does to us and like the neuroscience behind fear, those sorts of things. And, you know, one of the the foundations is play. And I, I, you probably have heard, which I love this person, Dr. Stuart Brown um, is one of the foremost play researchers. Mm -hmm. And so what we'll do is we'll take like the, the scientific elements of play and break that down and not only explain that to people like, this is why, this is why it's so it feels so good to you and why this sort of thing is so easy to fall into, but it really does help you therapeutically, whether you, whether people realize it or not, because I'm a firm believer in, you know, BDSM is never therapy. 
it is therapeutic. Mm-hmm. Um, exactly. But I, I believe that there is a therapeutic nature in so much BDSM, whether the players realize it or not, it's happening like under the surface subconsciously. Um, so, yeah, I don't know where we're, you had me explain it. Where are we going with this, Ken? No, yeah, about I think play. You, I think you yeah. it. it was just more that like, I was just like more than anything else, just talk about um, how we combine it in with what we do in all aspects. And I think that's the one thing they have in common. It's like the, you know, like you, you start losing sense of time. You start, um, there's improvisational, yeah, improvisational potential, potential like all there's, the uh, you know, your inhibitions go. You, yeah, yeah, that sort of thing. Okay, you wanted me to talk about the elements of the... Yes. Okay, that's... But my brain couldn't remember what it was called, so I threw <laughs> okay. you under the bus. Well, <laughs> play is how we learn. Yes. yes. That's yes. how we learned as children, and children mirror what they see in the outside world in their play, because it's getting them prepared to be adults. That's what... Animal like baby animals, kittens and puppies and baby squirrels. You see them playing or play fighting or whatever to get them prepared for adulthood. Mm-hmm. And I think when we become adults, for some reason, at least in our culture, <laughs> in American culture, you're said, no, you can't play anymore, which I think is complete and utter horseshit. You yeah. can play. You're supposed to play. This is how we learn. This is how we get our inhibitions down. That's what sex is about is playing with your partner. Mm-hmm. You know, there's something to, know to what them. you said before about it helping uh, people extend their mind's life if they're geriatric, if there's somebody in their 80s or 90s and they're not exercising those brain muscles by thinking and playing and doing stuff, you're going to get stagnant and it's going to atrophy, you know? Exactly. Yeah. We need play and it helps you connect with other people around you. You know, children, the elderly, people in your your peer group how to connect in different ways. And that's what we crave as individuals is connection, the belonging to a group. Mm-hmm. Definitely. And I, you know, it's like so many people, as you said, as adults, it's like, Oh, you're not supposed to do that. You know, when kids get to, I don't know, middle school age, you know, parents start, you know, stop, stop playing around, stop horsing around. You're too old for that. And and definitely when we're adults, we tell ourselves that, like, oh, we shouldn't be doing that. We, but if we think of all of the things that we enjoy. We, that's a new status week because I know it's not you and Oh, I. it's not you and me, but I mean, <laughs> just we, we in kids, general. Come on, play a game with society. Us. Come on. The kids will like, grow up, grow yeah. up parents. But, but really, if we think about the things that we truly enjoy, to your point, they are those, you know, sex, uh, our bowling league, our Dungeons and Dragons game every week, whatever, it, what people enjoy, you know, they play bridge. I don't know, whatever it is, but that's all play. And it, I just feel that we have poo-pooed on the real value of what play is in our adult lives, which is a fucking shame. I think it's fucking us up. No, I I totally agree, especially in a culture where it's like, go, go, work, work. You know, we're not putting aspects on the relaxing and the self-care. Play is self-care. My polycule, we have a standard game night every week. Sometimes we have a couple game nights a week just so we can connect. And most of them are my business partners, too. So we can, like, say, no business, no business today. We're playing. (laughs) Yeah. And do you have it on your Google Calendar? Yeah, we have stereotype. it on our, our huge stereotype. color-coded <laughs> Google Calendar. <laughs> the whole polycule lives on the Google Calendar, totally. don't they? <laughs> totally. So let me ask you this, okay? Because we've gone through this hell year of COVID, 
right? Um, We're coming up on a year of this, and it has profoundly changed all of our lives. You know, I hear a lot of people who, you know, whether they're therapists, coaches, you know, anyone dealing in like an emotionally literate realm in one way or another is like, this year has put what is really important to us as people under a microscope and and made us really go, okay, what what shit in my life and what do I need to concentrate on? So have you seen in your practice or even just in your personal life, are people putting more value in play and recreation because of COVID? Please say yes. I believe so. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, oh no. <laughs> like how? What what do you see people doing? How is it forcing us to to put more emphasis on the play and the recreation aspect of our existence? It's finding it's us finding other ways to connect outside of, you know, work, the meeting and the leaving cuz we're here, we're not leaving. We're not leaving the house. Mm-hmm. So, I know it has forced, you know, you know, my live-in partner and I, like, okay, what are other ways we can c- connect besides just living in the same space? Yeah. We need to have other forms of play, other forms of connection. And games is one of those. Or, you know, a show together and talking about it. That can be quality time, too, if you're actually, you know, analyzing the show together. Because that's intellectual intimacy. Mm. So it's it's helping with that, I believe. Like for some COVID, for some parts of the year, it has sucked because I can't see my long distance family in person. I can't travel. Yeah. So we're ha- we're having to connect virtually, but it's also forcing, at least me, in my experience, and for some of my clients, to see what's closer to home. You know, what do we value in our everyday lives? I've realized I don't like waking up to an alarm clock. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> so I enjoy having my work day later. I have the luxury of having that for working for myself. It's like, yeah, I like to have my mornings to myself. I have realized that. And a lot of a lot of my clients have realized other things about themselves too. Like they don't like where they're living because it's now putting it under a microscope that they need to get out of this environment. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, that's man, that so justifies our move to Las Vegas a uh, year before all this. Like, holy cow, like we would have been in a, so much of a worse situation where we were in Chicago. Yeah, yeah. So, all right, we, we've talked about how people can find, you know, structured play therapy wherever they may be. Um, what are some things that people can do, whether they're just like your average people that aren't gamers, maybe to bring some more play into their lives, or gamers can bring more mindfulness and emotional intelligence into their games. Is that something we can just incorporate oh, in our man, everyday you're lives? Piss off every grognard in the universe. I love you. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, and for those of you who don't know what a grognard is, that is a white hetero cis gamer that was born somewhere in Gen X. And, yeah. and usually has people like neck beards. It's the guys that made you afraid to explore gaming. Those yes. guys. <laughs> ah. <laughs> so let me see if I understand the, cause I think there were two questions. Yeah. Totally. The question. That was a two parter. So how can vanilla individuals find more play in their yeah. life? Yeah. We'll start with that one. Okay. So finding more play is looking at games that like even just like playing slap ass that's play yes and how can we expand on that maybe 
You know, we do sword fighting with pool noodles. <laughs> oh, I love that. <laughs> do silly things with each other or, you know, make funny faces with each other, improv. You know, it's yes. it's break getting out of that, oh, if I act like silly, you're going to think I'm a kid. Oh, it's <laughs> that, that's part mm-hmm. of playing is to be silly. Maybe yes. crack open one of those, th- one of the games, like, I think there is an improv game. I can't remember exactly off the top of, of my yeah. head now. There's a few of them. Where you act silly and try to guess the other what the other person's doing or charades with each other. Mm-hmm. If you mm-hmm. don't want to, if you don't have money, you don't want to go buy these things, charades. <laughs> it's a good one. Yeah. Totally. You know, totally. Uh, what, win, lose, or draw. You know, what am I drawing? I think yeah. we play code words a lot or code names a lot in our polycule. And an inside joke is, at least for me, is I tried five rounds for them to guess the word tablet. (laughs) I tried five different ways to connect it. I was like, British, medical, (laughs) writing you, (laughs) office supplies. (laughs) Oh, my God. And by the end of it, I'm like, it's fucking tablet. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, there's just so many little ways we can just bring this silliness into our lives. And it's like any little, like you said, the, any little round of slap ass in the kitchen is mm-hmm. actually doing us some good emotionally, yeah, a little, neurologically. A bit of fun. Now, I'm interested in that second thing that you said yeah. about mindfulness. So how how can you, your average old tabletop role playing gamers bring some more emotional intelligence and my emotional intelligence and mindfulness into their games? Okay, so mindfulness is just being in the present moment and soaking in everything that's going on around you so you don't have to be a sage sitting on the mountaintop to find mindfulness. So if I was going to be mindful in the game, it's like, okay, so what is my character doing? What are, my, what are the other characters doing? And just enjoying that moment, even if it's suspenseful or it's tense or anxiety, just kind of sitting in that emotion <laughs> mm. and feeling it and being like, okay, this is kind of tense right now. Like uh, one of our past sessions that we had, my character really wanted to break into a crate of bacon and eat it. <laughs> and the other characters wanted to run down a path. And I was the one that got them into the adventure. And apparently one of the persons that were dragged off was one of my friends. So I'm like, Ugh. Okay, I really just want to eat the bacon. And (laughs) I'm supposed to go with them to save my friend. (laughs) So kind of embodying what it meant to be a cornea in that that moment. Going, fine, I'll go off with you guys. I'll leave the bacon with the necromancer who's probably going to do something defile to it. So... (laughs) (laughs) That's funny. That's funny. So how can how can we be more? Oh wait, mo- I got one last. What? Oh, I'm sorry. Well, how can we be being more emotionally intelligent in our games too? And I would I would say being more emotionally intelligent is what are you feeling, and mm-hmm. what are what are your actions? How could that possibly relate to other people? Mm. And looking from different perspectives, like if you know. I'm a jerk. If my character's an asshole, people probably aren't going to want to work with me very much. Yeah. 
So understanding the mechanics of the emotions that go into that and the, the relationship building. I'm totally going to write a book called How to Be Mindful as a Murder Hobo. That's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> I saw so, this one this one meme of a dragon uh-huh. that's made up of all the dead NPCs. <gasps> this is how to deter murder hobos. <laughs> Ooh. That's that's actually truly awesome. So I have one last question for you, and we're going to wrap up here real quick. Uh, my last question is, um, what kind of uh, patients would you see? Like if somebody was coming to you for therapy specifically, what kind of issues can they talk to you about and have uh, like this kind of therapy? Okay. So most of the populations I deal with, uh, you know, anxiety, depression, that's every therapist's bread and butter. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm really de- really well versed in relationships, <laughs> uh, sex, kinky sex. If we're working on trauma, I'm a very trauma informed therapist as well. So those are a lot of my niches. Also, I work a lot with uh, civil servants. I used to be a police officer, so I know that world very well. Oh, oh good! And, so and thank you for being an ex police officer. You're welcome. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, police officers are not too popular right now. No, no, they're not. Yeah. (laughs) Um, So last thing that I wanted to to ask you was, uh, where can we find you on the internet? So our main site is HarmonyUSInc.com. You can also find me at Therapist Nikki on Facebook or Instagram. We're starting a Twitch channel, which will be the Harmony channel. We have a we have a bunch of websites. We have selfsoothe.me. We have Sex Positive Academy, Kink Therapist Training Institute. Okay. Very cool. And we will have all of those uh, addresses in the show notes for this this episode for those listening along trying to write it all down. Don't worry. Just go to AmericanSexPodcast.com for this episode and get all of those links. Well thank you. Thank you so much for being on the show today. Thank you for having me. Alrighty, bye-bye. All right, bye-bye. Thanks for listening to American Sex. To keep up with Ken and I, we'll first make sure you watch our TV show, Sex with Sunny Megatron, on Showtime. Then visit SunnyMegatron.com. There you can learn more about us, read our blog, peruse our workshop calendar, or hire us. For what? Well, either for private coaching, or to book us to teach at your event or university, or as sex and relationship writers for your publication. Oh, and don't forget, we're on social media, too. I'm the super social one, so you can find me as Sunny Megatron on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, my YouTube channel, and a bunch of other places. But if you want to get me on Snapchat, you got to look for Sunny underscore Megatron, and you can follow Ken on Twitter at at tag SciChicken. That's P-S-Y-C-H-I-C-K-E-N. Also, please support us by shopping with the affiliates and sponsors from our breaks. And if you contribute to our Patreon, we're going to love you forever. Well, we're going to love you forever anyway, but just go with it. Lastly, if you like this broadcast, tell people about it. Tweet it, Facebook status it, and rate it on iTunes and other platforms. Thanks, friends. We'll see you next week on American Sex. American Sex.